This is the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast, sponsored by XYZ Reality. Build it right, first time. Go on, you go on. You two are sharing. Excellent. So uh, we're just going to use this microphone. Yeah, we need quite some sort of gambling system when we like one, two, three. Hello everybody and welcome to the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast. Today's subject is infectious energy is what it takes to slay a dinosaur um, or a meteor um, or, you know, perhaps influenza is what does it. Who knows? Anyway, um, that's the topic of today's podcast. I am Henry Fenby Taylor and today I am joined by Jonathan Monkley and Tasha Greenfield. Simon Evans. And Vicky Reynolds. Okay, so first of all, let's hear a little bit about our panel. So uh, I am now, formerly when we did this last time, we were saying, uh, ooh, uh, will uh, CDBB still be operating when this comes out? And uh, it wasn't, um, (laughs) but I said I was anyway. Uh, So I'm now uh, started an innovation foundation and I'm still working uh, in the innovation space. Uh, Jonathan, tell us a little bit about yourself and your job. So I lead the digital services team at WSP. I'm also one of the founders of Zero, and we're joined today by a very special guest, um, so I am the design coordinator at Natural Building Systems. Um, my background is in architecture and I'm really interested in looking at reforming construction and changing the way that we're building because the way that we're building right now is simply not working. I'm Simon and I'm a massive fan of Digital Twins. That's it. That's what he does. That's, <laughs> Leave that's... it at that. Um, I am Vicky Reynolds and I'm Chief Technology Officer for an organization called I3PT and do some stuff with the UK BIM Alliance, the Building Regulations Advisory Committee and a couple of other bits and bobs. And I was a digital twin skeptic, a little, little bit more convinced now. Yeah. yeah I'm, sure. I'm just going to introduce somebody else, uh, Neil. We're going to introduce Neil Thompson, whose uh, title for the podcast this was. Yes. Uh, and it, Neil? Neil? No, no, Neil is Neil. Neil, what are your thoughts? Well, um, I'm receiving via ESP that um, Neil thinks that uh, innovation is overrated and we should just do things the traditional way. So that's, yeah, it sounds like Neil, doesn't it? Classic Neil. Yeah, classic Neil. (laughs) If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, Anyway, so So I think basically, so the the title of this topic came from Neil and I think he had a really strong agenda about what he wanted to speak about, didn't he? And and the kind of topics in the discussion and basically he hasn't turned up. So you're really selling it you're really selling it so so I've got my own spin on this which is that um, let's just say the built environment industry is broken it isn't productive it does things wrong when it does things right it doesn't do it right again the next time why aren't we learning from our mistakes but even worse why aren't we learning from our successes so let's take digital twin as an example slightly on topic for this what's a digital twin what? What's a digital twin? Uh, it's a point cloud that you spin in a web browser. Ah, uh, okay, okay, good. Yeah. Um, so, oh, poor, poor Vicky over there is. Uh, she's had a hell of a day <laughs> and uh, has had to be very professional, and now she's had to come. Vicky join was us. about to swear. Yeah. <laughs> no, not yet, not yet. But I just want to highlight, though, it's not. Look, I think there's opportunity here. Then that's what we need to be focusing on. It's not necessarily that we have. Look, we haven't always made the best decisions in terms of digitalization and bringing in new technology to make us more efficient and safer and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but it's not like if we give up, 
someone else will come in and do it for us and we'll all lose our jobs. So what we have is an opportunity to be better and do better. Um, and I think that's what we need to be focusing on today because when we, when we talk about things like sustainability and net zero, if we don't have a positive attitude, then we're going to end up with um, a lack of a planet, I think. I think Neil's perspective was that like, we could potentially become the first species where it could be too expensive to like, not cause ourselves to come extinct. Yeah. Basically, we could value engineer, value engineer ourselves to death. There's that great cartoon of uh, uh, after the apocalypse and everybody's saying, uh, yes, but for a lovely brief moment of time, we all created a lot of shareholder value. Yeah. But I think his angle was that we need to be like extremely passionate about the net zero challenge and the want to to drive change. And I think that's where sort of so Tasha's connection is she is leading zero zero next, uh, and you're kind of zero's activists, aren't you? Get and the cheers there. Tasha's got next. some fans in. Got some energy. Yeah, yeah. Some fans. And activist fans, apparently. But, yeah, yeah, activist fans. So oh the, dear. The, the energy that zero next bring is like because I think when you spend like 15 years in construction it can kind of become very tiring and you need that kind of passion and that's what you've been kind of driving from zero next isn't it yeah absolutely i mean i'm i'm the first person to admit i don't know it all um and there are lots of people that know a lot more than the young professionals do but we might have radical and maybe naive ideas but why not try them i mean I think vicky said it earlier is i mean why not try new ideas because we're already fucking it up <laughs> Great. So what, I wasn't what the first do? one to swear. I just you were. That, That's well, that let, great. Let's start swearing by uh, the, Tasha, uh, the, the title of Tasha's uh, presentation this morning was F Roadmaps. I'm not going to swear. So that was the idea of the fact that why set a challenge to let's fix the planet by 2050? Because like, in my opinion, to write a roadmap that says by 2050 everything will be fine is really easy. Because you can just pontificate like some crazy, everything will be electric and it will all be from solar power. But to do something in the next year, while pleasing shareholders, why making profit, while keeping everyone happy is really difficult. I think it's like if we just look at what happened at COP last year, everyone was super fired up about, yeah, we could change the planet. Fast forward a couple of months and suddenly we're extracting oil and gas in the North Sea again. It's like, yeah, that was lip service, wasn't it? Yeah. So I think well, we're going to come The, the priorities are, um, of any country, of any group of people is based on their actions, right? And, you know, we do have our priorities fairly clear in the UK. You know, we've got the UN Sustainability Development Goals. We've got all this stuff at the high level. And then we're kind of trying to filter that all down into some actionable things that politicians can sign up to. And I think that's the challenge is that I have quite a lot of sympathy for politicians. I know I'm the only person on the planet to have that. But um, they, their job is to get elected. Allegedly, that means then to lead, but really it's to get elected. So if they can just get away with lip service and kick the can down the road to 2050, they're incentivized to do that because they're not going to be in office at that point. So when we think about dinosaurs in the sense of the um, title of this podcast, are we talking about the people who have the aspirations? Are we talking about the politicians? Are we talking about people in industry who are failing to deliver? Like, where are the dinosaurs? Because I think we like to use them as a scapegoat. It's yes. always, there are old stuffy people, old middle-aged white men always get the, the brunt of it. Uh, and they're not going to change and we're not diverse enough and therefore we're going to be fucked forever. Like, is that, are, are we inventing a villain? Do we just, how do we just get on with it? I'm just saying, I only just got that dinosaurs are referring to people, not actually animals. 
in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are. So, yes. I was thinking, what a weird podcast. Why we talk about Well, they have actually, dinosaurs. they have started <laughs> to isolate the, uh, the DNA of uh, dinosaurs recently. So Jurassic Park might be a thing. So maybe then this will become a literal podcast about that. But for me, I was having um, uh, a bit of a pre-argument with Neil about this point about dinosaurs. And uh, my perspective on what is a dinosaur is it's, it's an institutional bias that institutions exist to perpetuate themselves and to do things a certain way. And it's good to have that because a stable set of institutions means that laws are stable, our society is stable, and we know how things will operate. And that's what's good about a dinosaur institution. But what's bad about it is when it turns out that's not, work, that's not pushing in the right direction. And that's actually quite unsustainable. And I think that, for me, is the big issue. Is about these uh, the dinosaur institutions. So, what should we do about a dinosaur institution? Do, can we just sweep them away, or can we educate them? What What should we do? Move them to the metaverse. So, so for, ooh, that's the way. To Sorry, edit that out, Henry. Uh, for me, the dinosaur wasn't people. It was the problem and kind of the idea of change and the fact that change is really hard in our industry. Um, it's a metaphor for a dinosaur we needed to murder and get rid of. Maybe we need to hit the dinosaur with a meteor. But yeah. um, oh. Hello, hello, Thomas. Thank nice you. gimbal. Thank you for the gimbal. Uh, extremely professional there. He's wandered off now. So, so for me, the, the problem was the fact that we have to, we've got this insane problem of chasing profit, chasing pleasing shareholders while achieving net zero. And the idea of the roadmap for me is a problem because it's very easy to present a roadmap to a client and say, that's what we're going to do in 10 years' time. I think that's good. it's going to be a bit of a chicken-egg situation for the big players in construction to actually achieve their targets and keep people happy from a, a shareholder and profitability perspective. Do we, do we just need a shit-the-bed moment? In the sense that, like, let's, I'm, I'm going to go back and cite here COVID, of course. You know, we've managed to make a vaccine in record time, blew everyone's minds, and kind of people probably thought the COP would be the same. There's now a burning platform to get to net zero, therefore these dinosaurs can be slayed anywhere you like but it's not really there yet so do we need that kind of moment where they just go oh actually i'm not going to be alive tomorrow unless i fix something and then they fix it but i think so that's the problem right people say when you see climate change we'll react to it but we can see it already look yeah. at the weather today exactly every year we're having record high temperatures earlier and earlier and everyone's like this is lovely it's not lovely it's a very clear sign that we're doing something wrong yeah exactly <laughs> and it is a bit lovely but i think i mean your point about covid is perfect right we went to work on march the 23rd 2020 and by 8 p.m. we were confined to our homes, people changed in an instant to protect lives to stop their loved ones dying. If someone said climate change will kill your loved ones eventually, would people react? No, because it's not in this political cycle. Sorry. Or, or just watch the Credo video. If you watch the Credo video, Grandad dying, that is pretty emotional. Yeah, it like is that, pretty emotional. That makes you want to change Simon, things. what was Credo? Oh. Really, is that the question? <laughs> no, no, sorry. No, it's just to uh, just explain what Credo is for right, people okay. who don't know. So Credo was a demonstrator by... Who? 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 The Centre for Digital Built. There Martin. we go, Henry. Oh, them. To prove that it is possible, or to re-illustrate it is possible, to connect assets and systems together through a common framework. And they did really well at connecting the electricity or the power network with the water network with the telco network 
to address a use case around climate resilience. What happens if there's a massive flood? How would your city survive if, let's say, the power goes out, you no longer can pump water, you no longer can communicate with each other? And Iranis has demonstrated to prove, and um, that's what Credo is. And so the problem with it was people didn't believe it? Or? No, no, it's, it was more, they made a, a video, I think it was, a, a promotional video was made by a BAFTA winning director or something. Yeah. And it involved a guy, a lo, like a young child, who was, um, it wasn't even a young child, was it? It's like a teenager living with his granddad, and his granddad somehow nearly died because there was a flood, and it was very sad. Um, and you think they have died until the very end, and they haven't died. So this so is just, this is an example of um, how do we persuade institutions because I was asked a lot in the cent when I was working for CDBB, the Centre for Digital Built Britain, who is your client? And that's a really good question because it, it depends on who you ask because we're in a very political position which is we are funded through Innovate UK, so they're our client. We are responsible to government departments, so they're our client. Client but, is the wrong word. But that was the question that because the people yeah. who were running this were were very consultant oriented. So, you know, it's, who are yeah. you serving? It's victim, essentially. Yeah. It's like the same victim. Like, well, it's, it's the same as when we're talking about building safety earlier. Like, you can say to people, you need to consider building safety or ESG sustainability uh, because there are, there's commercial value in it and it makes you more efficient and your clients want it. Or you can say, because if we don't fix this problem, more people will die in fires. Yeah. Or, the world will become increasingly uninhabitable. Like, and, and so we need to stop talking about my client wants this and it's my contractual responsibility and start thinking Such about the point. victims of, of inaction. So, uh-oh. Uh -oh. No. Well, we no, both uh-oh'd at the same time. So it's fine. A Jonathan it's fine. tangent is Im imminent. So, no, it's not a tangent. It's, it's kind of probably quite a serious discussion. Yeah, it's okay. genuine. Uh, All right. So one of the real debate points, you're probably involved in these discussions, Vicky, actually, on the zero or framework discussion on leadership yeah. where it, it, it went into the debate around what's more important uh, C-suite decisions and fr like financial decisions at like portfolio level versus changing things on a project see I'm still fully convinced if you convinced someone like BlackRock to say right carbon is now more important than money projects would change but at the moment they're probably more focused on profit so you need to kind of change that, that they need angle. to be saying that carbon is money yeah, not yeah, more exactly. important than money. Carbon is money, like, and that's that's the disconnect that we have at the moment. But so, in order to see the value of carbon, you need to measure your carbon now. If you're not measuring it, how do you know how much carbon you're spending? And that's why it has to come top down and bottom up at the same time. Yep. It's it's the only way that change happens. It's basically the the triple threat all solutions approach for change. So, it's thinking about if you think about BIM ten, if you think about BIM in two thousand and eight. You basically had a bunch of weirdos saying this is pro quite cool. <laughs> you did. I was one of those weirdos. Henry was one of those weirdos. Yeah, we were all doing. We were I doing. Still am. We were doing those hackathons where you sat in your pajamas in your office, yes. where no one would listen to you, just because BIM was a good thing to do. Yeah. And that was us slaying a dinosaur then, wasn't well, it? I mean, I don't think did, anybody well, did, it, made did it slay a dinosaur though. Well, how, uh, how successful was that slaying? Well, uh, no, uh, well it depends. What it depends what. It, we, we, How fast laid? Do you want yeah. us to go down that rabbit hole on this podcast? 
I, that's, no. the that's the purpose of these things, isn't it? <laughs> well, so I mean, from my perspective, I, I look for this. I don't think people ever made a business case for CAD. There wasn't this huge change program for let's stop drawing things on pieces of paper and start doing things digitally. It just happened. There was a generational change of people just expected to use better tools. So I think that's that. I think it can happen in this space is that we don't slay the dinosaurs; they die of old age. Um, no offence. Some offence. I, I say that as a white middle-aged so man. We're just waiting again yeah. for the dinosaurs we to are. die. Wow, that doesn't sound like a great idea. What should we do instead then? We should create a wedge. A wedge? Yeah. What, like oh, a cavalry With lines on it and numbers and levels. That's a fantastic idea. To go back to our previous point, said what's changed since then, we set, I remember the construction 2011 innovation targets. It said BIM will make your project 50% faster, 50% cheaper, and 50% more efficient. And we, never, we were so never measuring that. That's the kind of bullshit that just undermines the whole process. Yeah. Because you don't see those returns, especially like, no, you, absolutely. And so then people, uh, people give up. And there's just so much um, around the whole marketing and the why. You have to get that right. And the fact is, and this, this is why I keep coming back to the fact that I think a digital twin, to sort of wrap a little bit back to who we are and what we do, um, should be a happy accident of good process. So good process meaning really solid information management, the exchange of data, um, and and doing what you do to get the best outcomes. Oh shit, look, now I've got a digital Because you're, you're measuring what's important. Exactly. So you can prove what's important, you can prove that you've made an impact or where there is more work needed. Exactly, a digital twin will not save the world, but if you make incremental improvements and changes, and do it digitally, mm. then ultimately you might end up with a digital twin and you might end up saving the world. So I, I think there's a bit of a challenge I want, I want to raise here because th there is this, we're talking about incremental change versus revolutionary change. I think the great thing about revolutionary change is that if somebody sweeps in and just does things differently, then you can sweep away all these problems. We don't have to worry about appeasing people in any given model, you know, whether it's a, the Uber or the Kodak moment or whatever it is. They come in, they change everything, that's great. But I think the other side of that is that there's quite a, a lot of potential for bullshit in the sense of this is revolutionary, this is totally going to change how everything works. And then does it actually do that? So I think that we need something revolutionary. I agree with you on that, Tasha. But how do we do that and prove it? I, I, kind of to your point there about the, it being a bit of BS. So the other day I saw an article being posted. Sorry. Why are you laughing? I'm laughing because you can't say bullshit. You have to say BS. No, I was trying to... <laughs> not, okay, bullshit. I was trying to keep my train of just thought. Just get Vicky to swear for yeah, I was, I was waiting for you to jump in, Vicky. So I was watching the day, there's a large tech company who, there are many out there, but there's one particular tech company that most of your computers run on, and it released Windows. its platform for the industrial metaverse. And this was its slogan, we are now going to market with our industrial metaverse. And I've got a point here. If you looked at what made up the industrial metaverse, it was selling all of its component offerings that we've seen them release over the last 10 years. So there was their digital twin platform, there was their IoT platform, there was their 3D rendering platform. And you think all we're doing is adding another layer of hype on top of it and then saying, oh, the dinosaur's got bigger, it's a different type of dinosaur, now it's a virtual one with VR. And therefore, let's make a new term to tackle that. 
So is there an element here that we just kind of, as much as we want a burning platform to address, there's still this kind of um, need for organizations, be them in the tech world, I guess many of the people here, to invent a, a fad for some reason or not, that then they can use to slay the next challenge. If that, I, if I was, was expecting right. Tasha to have very strong feelings about that, which is why I knocked I'm I'm kind of stumped, I guess. I, I, I'm, my brain. It's, it's productizing and it's, it's focusing on fear to, to sell things, ultimately. And, and it's, it's all, it's commercializing um, the, yeah, the problem, Ex exactly. And, and so that's why it can't be vendors that lead the way here. And that's why I do, I am a little bit concerned. And I've, I've said it to myself before, like, if we can't build buildings efficiently, then Google will swipe in and they'll build them efficiently for us. And then we won't have jobs anymore. And I, you know, it's a really fun thing to say, but ultimately, is it going to happen? Probably not. Like we we can't just wait for a massive disruptor. I think we're in we're in such a hole now that it has to be sensible incremental change with proved values. And it might not be digital twins in the metaverse. It might be focusing on how do we make sure that we recycle more, how do we re reuse more in on our on our projects. It might be starting with much smaller things to then build up as we learn and get better if we've got time to do that. So I think, I mean, so that's quite an interesting point. And something that James and I were talking about earlier is actually the equivalent, and I can't remember the figures, so don't quote me, but a flight to New York is equivalent to a reasonably large concrete slab. And James said, uh, why don't we not use concrete? And I said, why don't we not fly to New York? And I think it's that kind of thing, actually. If you don't do both of those, you save double. 100%, and it's a, it's a prime example um, flying is cheaper than getting the train at the moment, you know, from yeah. one side of the country to the other or across to Europe. Um, and it's, you know, you sort of sometimes have to take a step back and say, do we need something massive to give us massive change? Or do we actually need to focus a little bit more on some of the more sensible, even quicker wins that are there? And I know this is completely anti-digital twin fan club kind of stuff, but... Go for um, it. Do it. Yeah, I, I, I just think we... We can't lose focus of what's important just because the tech is sexy. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's something, and this is again, uh, sorry, anti-digital twin fan club. But it's, it. So we were talking last night about um, kind of carbon capture solutions, right? So people build a really uh, high carbon building and then they pay for like carbon offsetting or carbon capture. And actually you could build a building out of natural materials that is capturing its carbon. It's and it's changes like that. Yeah, it, but that's doing more than that in my mind because, it, first of all, if you're offsetting, you know, we plant X trees, but we assume that those trees will survive, and they won't. So that's one factor. So the measurement is already massively skewed. But when you're building with natural materials, you're creating a, a market for those natural materials. So the biodiversity that is not always inherent by just having, you know, lots of conifers in a line, but you can is certainly more diverse uh, um, from an ecological perspective than putting concrete over everything. And I think that's, we need to look at the whole life cycle of buildings and building and in that, with that in mind. I got nods, which I will take as, uh, as, as agreement. I guess, is there something here about 
skills to talk about. Because a lot of this is accessibility, isn't it? So if we're looking from a, a technology standpoint, to go to your point, that it shouldn't be about that, a lot of these evolving um, solutions which will help us on our slaying the dragon journey, slaying the dinosaur journey, are seen as quite out of reach of most people. And it's like a, an element of bringing them on the journey because let's, let's take a, anything technology related that's trying to help us. Most people think, I don't fully understand it, I'm gonna stay at arm's length, someone else can address that. But then there's simple measures that even then we're not even doing ourselves. So, for example, turning off your lights when you leave a room. We've been talking about that for 20, 30 years. People still don't do it. Like, why are all these lights on here now? Why are they not periodically dimming if there's no one around the area? So there's like all these, I know, okay, the LEDs, blah, 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 blah. But the point is, we've been talking about some of these messages for a long time, but actually aren't doing them. So yeah. we found out last night that every single exhibition, they lay carpet and then bin it for the next exhibition. <laughs> I was just like, I need, I need to have a heart which, which is ludicrous, isn't it? All these, the stands here, yeah, most no, of them no, no, Sorry, uh, the MBS stand will be recycled uh, into a house. Well, there yeah. you go, apart from that. But I guess that's the point, isn't it? There's like kind of the, the front of it, oh, we're, we're in a, a net zero conference. And then the only stand, there's one stand out of 150 that's actually going to be recycled. The rest is left and then like put into the ground. So I, I think there's a strong case to be made. I've been looking at this. So productivity in the construction sector, as it's measured, has stayed fairly static and I am I believe and unfortunately it's just a belief I believe that we can improve sustainability we can improve the uh, sustainable use of materials and we can be more profitable if we just take an approach that is able to reuse the lessons that we learn on projects so often the, the cool things we do get lost and it just the next time we come around it's a whole new team it all gets dropped and that's what that's what I need to challenge. So consistency and I'm going to come back to training and skills consistency in, in training skills and learning is super important and I just want to say that it's not that technology isn't accessible to a lot of people it's that the people who technology is accessible to don't choose the built environment as their career option so we go into schools and we say, send your naughty boys off to do bricklaying. So then all the very intelligent girls and guys who are sat doing uh, coding and... It is always the naughty boys who do bricklaying. And, and it was when I was in school. And so then it, that I would have thought that I'd done something terrible if you'd have told me that in 20 years time, I'd be working in the built environment. I'd be like, did I fail my GCSEs? And so there's a whole... Um, marketing piece there as well around bringing in the right skills and retaining those skills. I think that's, a, that's an excellent point. So you're so telling me to shut up? And no, uh, so uh, we're going to uh, have some final thoughts uh, from our panel on what it is we need to do, what infectious energy or infections we need to slay the dinosaurs that are causing the problems today and then we're going to go to our, our audience and we're going to see if they have any points or questions I mean, there's to two raise. massive can digital I, twin fans in the... In the yeah, uh, we haven't really talked about digital twins explicitly in this no, no, which is a bit odd. It's I not. We, we talked about games and music and stuff. So, so for me, my final thoughts are, yeah. to us to slay the dinosaur, depending on which way you look at it, it's going to take a company to put a flag in the ground and say, and, t and start turning projects away that are like just money-making monsters that have no consideration for carbon and the climate. And I think that's going to be, that will be, that might be the shit the bed moment when some like big consultancy yeah. turns away money 
because it's like it's anti-planet. It's going to be Arab, right? If oh, anyone, I was going to say, we already do that. Yeah, yeah. I was going <laughs> to actively say, turn them down. No, 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 not green enough. Sorry. Yeah, Arab, Arab, Arab leads the way in that and has done for some time. But I just want to say, and John's going to roll his eyes at this, but Probably. the EU taxonomy. <laughs> Golden Thread Digital Twin. Digital Twin, yeah. yeah. UK BIM Level Three. But. Essentially, that is, is putting in place new structures around investing and financing um, for, for the investment market, right? So if people are taking into account ESG more when they're looking at what they invest in, and in fact, to some, in some areas, giving it just as much weight as the financial incentives and the commercial incentives, they're going to be looking to invest in products and developments that are greener and more carbon friendly, which means there's going to be pressure put from the top down into the built environment to build better and greener as well. So I do think there's a place for legislation here too, and I do think it's very important, and I bleat on about it all the time. but. I think people are starting reason. to listen. You know, there's there, there's a different approach to value starting to be taken in the UK. It's beginning in terms of you know there is more than just about that financial value at the end, and I think that's that has to be the way forward. And I, I I'm just <clears throat> I agree with what Vicky was just saying there. That I think a big change of this is going to be driven by the financing institutions and the investor community, yeah. and we see that already that they are redirecting their funds to only certain types of projects and types of bills, and that changes everything. The same with, if we look at digital twins, going back to the term there, um, we know in a couple of years' time, I'm not even digital twins, let's talk about data more broadly, that accounting standards are going to start asking organizations to recognize the value of their data on the balance sheet. Now that is going to bring a fundamental step change in people wanting to quantify or work out how to quantify the value of their data because of a requirement to be financed, to be insured, etc. So coming back to what we're looking at now, I think for all this stuff is when the people with the dollar start changing how they're going to invest, we're going to start seeing a change. Unfortunately, probably not much of what's happening in this room. Some of it will be innovative, some of it will be really bleeding edge and demonstrated to these finances, but it's when those finances kind of change their mind and then backed up by legislation eventually, which does take a bit longer to catch up, that we'll start to see a change. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a funny thing that actually industry won't change until the cost of change is less than the cost of staying exactly. the same. Exactly. So we have to increase the cost of staying the same. And that's the, that's the differential between CAD and drawings. Yep. The yep. cost of doing drawings, going yep. back to Henry's point earlier, was more expensive than the cost of transitioning to CAD, even with the skills, the training, etc. And therefore, it was a no-brainer. Yeah, it didn't require a big change program. It was just, it was just because obvious. it was had to to survive. Uh, absolutely, to so stay competitive. I'm really interested to uh, hear what our um, what our audience might have to say on this subject. Um, uh, Jonathan is uh, looking. We've got some questions. We've got some thoughts. Let's go find out. Thank you. Um, some good good points that you made. Um, I think incremental change is happening. Will happen. Oh, you can hear better now. Um, and that's the nature of things because it doesn't hurt us too much. But actually, disruptive change only happens when there's some kind of major catastrophe. We were talking earlier about building safety bill. That didn't come along because the um, politicians went, oh, we better improve the standards. No, you had 72 people killed in a fire. Yeah. Because there have been fires before and there's been fires since. And they wouldn't have done anything by themselves. No, you absolutely. Know, all the car crashes on the road, you never hear about yeah, them. But if a plane crashes, every day. Yeah. It was a big event. Then it's made a big, a big event. Difference. So that's the downside of it. I think that's a great point. Sorry, who just introduce yourself? 
Yeah, Andrew Ryler, um, Institution of Engineering and Technology. Thank you. I think we have some more thoughts over there. I agree with that. Also, look how many people are queuing for beer on the Zero Stand. Yourself? Uh, brilliant. Uh, great podcast, by the way. Love the energy. Yes. Uh, so, Kwam Adewale. Hi, Simon. Uh, we Hello. spoke before. Uh, Microsoft. Um, it was funny, Simon, you mentioned the uh, <laughs> industrial metaverse, and I thought, oh, yeah. gosh, should I, should I win? Should I duck? Because uh, that's from us. Oh, I didn't um, mention the company. <laughs> is, uh, do you have an angle in this we, as well? We all knew, yeah. though. We all knew. <laughs> um, but it, I completely agree and echo some of the comments there with regards to sort of financial institutions, but also as well some of the large hyperscalers being a cloud vendor ourselves. Um, sometimes we tend to operate primarily for profit rather than actually the broader benefit. Um, but I would also say that it's collaboratively bringing us into the fold as well, not us leading, um, because I don't think that's right for us to lead, but us as in Google's, AWS's, I think it's a collaborative approach because it can't be undertaken without baselining the data, understanding the data. And then also as well, we can't actually lead because we don't have that domain expertise. Um, so that, that coalition building, I think, is, is quite necessary. And, and I very much agree with that. And this is why I love the phrase that I think does blend into this collaborate on the rules, compete on the game. That I think there's a huge need here for us to come together and do things like that to make the change for the industry. And I think I've, I've seen a, a real shift even in the past 12 months. So for years and years as a, well, three years as a vendor, um, one of our primary strategies has been integrations and APIs with other systems. So basically, we don't want to be a jack of all trades. We want to be a master at what we do, but then we work with other masters to make sure that we get the right outcomes. And up until probably about nine months ago, there was absolutely no appetite from other vendors because they didn't, if, if there was an option, if there was a gap in what they were offering, they wanted to build it themselves. And now all of a sudden, with the change in landscape, legislation, and many other things, we're suddenly seeing a shift when we approach someone and say, would you like to integrate with us? Um, the, the response now is, is yes more than it's no, which is great. So there's a, there's a real place for vendors in this. I just don't think it should be selling a solution on their own. I yeah. think the difference there is that we're solving problems. We need to solve problems quicker and quicker. And so it would be great for these organizations if they could, could see a problem, yeah. go and dedicate a team to it for three years and come back with a solution. But often it's, well, actually, this is a project that is going to be built in a month, in a year. So we need, to, we need to go and find those solutions and integrate them. And that is really important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. E exactly what um, Simon was saying there, you know, compete on the game, not on the rules. So, so, so did I paraphrase slightly? Collaborate on the rules, compete on the game. Yeah. Oh, That's the one. He same, said same thing. I, I can hear he Mark Enzer, I can see him the over the horizon. The spirit of CDBB has yes. been awakened. It's just it such is. a great phrase, though. <laughs> I think it has good. relevance it's to so many thought. things. It's good, it's good. Yeah. But we yeah. That, that and I think it also applies here, it's a journey, not a destination. Oh, the and classic I, and Simon. Yes, he said it. It's right not now, a Simon podcast without you saying well, that. I love it. You're right, though. Because right now, the burning platform is climate change. Yep. But there will be another burning platform, and there'll be another burning platform. What will be the next burning platform? How many metaverses can we build? How do you stop people living only in the metaverse? Yeah, that's very true. Oh, I actually uh, yeah. read the uh, Snow Crash, is the uh, book uh, that coined the term metaverse. It's actually a really dark place that they should not have tried to coin as a commercial thing. Absolutely, yes. Anyway, so do we have any more questions? 
Hi there. Um, Bernard Fanning here from Nichols Creative Technology. Hi. Uh, really enjoying the podcast. It's great, great conversation. Um, one thing that springs to mind is we're talking about, obviously, this is a big change. Um, it's, it's one of many changes on the digital journey. Um, is it worth thinking about this as transformation? And do we, when we talk about the benefits of digital twins and good asset information, good information, do we put enough emphasis on on the transformation and are there uh, kind of collaborative teams that have the te technical capability but also the cultural transformation support to go with it? I'd say um, um, Vicky and I were talking about this at UK Construction Week. It was a good, good chat. Um, I, I think there's a, a really important piece here about what is it always for, what is it all for? So we, you're right, we need those technical capabilities and we need that buy-in, we need that cultural change, but it has to come from a, a place of just general transformation. What are we trying to achieve? What are we trying to do? And if you can't explain it in the terms that, I'm going to, that an average voter could understand, then it's going to be difficult to make the change. And I think sometimes we get stuck in overly technical language, whereas you know it's a technical solution, partly a socio-technical, whatever, but you know, it, technical solutions but we need um, people and we need to be able to sell good ideas which for me is what digital twins are all about they're and a good idea and they sound good and your point there of making it appeal to kind of the general populace is really interesting so let's take digital twin and metaverse as two words there we are still now x number of years later 20 years later who knows telling people what is and isn't a digital twin which seems to be the wrong thing why are we we're doing still that? arguing about what bim is Ah, but, 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 but that's it, see? Yeah. The same with BIM. So BIM had an argument, but then Digital Twin was a bit more glamorous because you had colourful renders that you could show people and spin models around in 3D and goes, that is a Digital Twin. I saw someone doing exactly that over there the other day. Or earlier. Spin it, with the spinning some models in a web browser. But exactly. Was it a point some, cloud? Some, uh, it wasn't a point cloud. It wasn't a point cloud. It wasn't cloud. a point cloud. I don't know what it was. Okay. It was, it was beyond that. Um, but now, Metaverse has taken hooks with people because people can understand it. Yeah. It's like Ready Player One. They're like, ooh, I like that. But they don't understand it. They just see someone wearing a VR headset and go, I want that. So it's kind of the make it accessible in a language that the general populace care about. And, and that, that's, that's the thing. Like, make <laughs> there's, no, there's making something accessible yeah. and there's making something a Christ Christmas list item. Like everyone wants to be involved with the metaverse because it's sexy and it's cool, but actually that's, that doesn't mean it's accessible just because you've seen it in a movie. Um, like the, the accessibility comes from, I understand the origins of that and I feel like I could do it. And I think we sometimes mistake the fact that um, things require deep digital processes and technology to enforce change when actually a lot of the time it's just day-to-day -day human behavior. Um, and, and change in behavior is much more important than improvements and upgrades in technology, in my opinion, for now. Totally makes you know, sense. I was going to say, isn't it interesting though, because let's look at digital transformation. Everyone for the last five, ten years has been banging on about, it's not about the technology, it's about the people in the process. We're still saying it now? Yeah. It's like it's this constant broker record of saying the same statement, but no one seems to actually change it. And that's because... so. We're at Digital Construction Week, and that's where you hear all these conversations. You go to UK Construction Week two weeks ago, nobody's talking about that. And that's the problem. We are siloed. We are st we're having the same conversations in our own little bubbles yep. and really fucking enjoying it. 
um, and they're not taking it anywhere else because nobody else wants to hear it. Why? Because it's not accessible. We are really enjoying it, yeah. Yeah, so well, I think that's an excellent point. That makes sense. We've got one more point. Would you just introduce talk, yourself, talking please? Talking about making things accessible. Would you just you introduce yourself, sir? Sorry, I'm Rick Hartwig from the Institute of Engineering and Technology. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you guys. Um, well, some of you. Uh, yeah, yeah, he knows me. That's why he's being sick. You're talking about dinosaurs as, as if they were a living thing um, and that we had to slay them. They're extinct. And so I suggest you get to today and look at today and say what needs to happen to achieve the change you were just talking about, Vicky, to, to change, get rid of value engineering today, not, not what happened last year. Get rid of the metaphors, get rid of the pseudonyms, and just talk about the legitimate. Well, we, we've just done some work uh, around an event called Industry Voices, paper coming out soon. But one of the things that has come up, yeah, I've got to promote it. Uh, yeah, the link is available at the bottom of this podcast recording for those who want to. Yeah, it'll come, it'll come. Um, and one of the things that has come up is leadership. There is no leadership in the sector. And, and I've asked all sorts of people, where must that leadership come from? Now, I think Digital Twins has a role to play in influencing that leadership. But I'd just love to hear what you guys think about that. This reminds me of, um, I, I watched a, BB, a series of BBC uh, uh, shows about power. And it, they interviewed people, uh, no, as in power over, the, over government control, that sort of thing. And they interviewed a lot of different people. They interviewed journalists. Journalists didn't feel like they had any power. They introduced um, politicians. They didn't feel like they had any power because they felt that they, they were, you know, it was always party political and they needed to align with so and so and so and so. And I feel like it requires people to just, you know, it's that old adage of never underestimate the power of a small group of dedicated people who will make some change. And I think we need to get out of the way of those people. All of those people know they have power. Journalists know they have oh, power. Know. Politicians Vicky, know Vicky, they have you've power. Got power. It's just you've very power, easy Vicky. to say you haven't because power is accountability. If you say I can change ah. this and you're responsible for changing it and that's the problem. And that's the same conversation we were having earlier with the regulator about the building safety bill. Ultimately, if you can go to bed at night feeling that the project you've worked on is safe and secure and fire safe, then you are doing your best. If you go to bed and you think, oh, we should be doing better, but it's not my problem, you are the problem. And so it has to be accountability on behalf of everyone. Everyone has power. I think that's that's really, Drop I mic. think that's quite inspiring, actually. I think that's a really, really inspiring point for all of our listeners. And um, do you have I think, can I just come back to that on, so something I talk about a lot is uh, plastic straws, right? And the turtles. The government puts it on us not to use plastic straws to save the turtles. And it's the most ridiculous thing. So I think actually your, your power comment, I'm not sure I completely agree with you because I think they, they like to say, uh, don't use plastic straws and you can feel good about yourself, right? And, and therefore you have the power not to use a plastic straw, but actually it's all a bit of a front. But they have the power to ban plastic straws. Exactly, they do, but they don't. Well, Why that's don't what I mean. They? they have the power, they just say that they don't because it's easier that way to put accountability on other people. Yeah. And it's faddy. And it's faddy and all we do... Here's, so here's, here's something I noticed the other day. If you try and recycle anything, you look on the back, yeah, and you try and hunt for the recycling logo. They've now started introducing the, this is widely recyclable, this is not. 
but you still have no idea what is and isn't really because it's no, like because oh, it all, check with your local borough. It all How got do do delegated that? down to the local authorities. Exactly, uh, and then they just ship it off to another country and dump it, don't they? Uh, well, so, we don't so it's really kind of like know. the irony is, yeah. So, I can stop now. On, on that, uh, um, on the fact that, on that note, yeah, that got that was going to well, that's about to get really heated. You it could, was. Yeah. Well, I was. I mean, uh, once uh, the turtles yeah, start getting killed, we need yes. to start wrapping. Uh, but, but that's there's some air gap between these two. I disagree yeah. with that. That people they, don't have power. People, people dying in fires. People really uh, bloody enjoying this conversation. Turtles, turtles drowning, straws in their faces. Dying. These are the things that motivate the general populace. So perhaps that's what we need to do in the built environment: is to uh, show more clearly how what we do kills people and yeah, how we yeah. could save people as well. So I'm going to call it a, a day there on that note. And uh, I'd like to thank our panelists very thank much. Very I've, much. Been, I've been Henry Vermeer Taylor. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having Tasha. Thank you very much, everybody. Th thanks for coming. Jonathan. And uh, so thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Tasha. And Simon, thank you Are for coming. Are we saying coming. things to ourselves? I'm yeah, saying, I'm, really I'm, saying I'm thanking you and you can tell me that you're welcome. Oh, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome, Henry. <laughs> Thanks from Simon. It's good that this hasn't ended awkwardly. Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. And Excellent. on that bombshell. Well, that was a roller coaster. Thank you very much for listening. Really appreciate it. If you want to come and talk to us, please reach out on LinkedIn. If you look for the Digital Twin Fan Club, you'll find us. If you look for uh, the Digital Twin on Twitter, you'll find us there. Let us know your thoughts and uh, what you'd like us to talk about. Take care.